Well, good morning, Christ Church. It's so good that you are joining us right now for our morning worship today. Um, a little bit later on, we're going to introduce Tony Sorrentino, but that's, I just kind of did it right now, so we'll do it later on too. But anyway, it's great that you are here. Hopefully, you've got a refill on your cup of coffee at home or wherever you might be. Again, we're grateful that you have joined us today. My name is Dave Garza, and I have the honor and privilege of being our Senior Contemporary Worship Director here at Christ Church. And uh, it's great that we have this time of worship. And like I said, this is Tony Sorrentino, a friend of mine. Tony, we go back to about 2007, you tell me, because I had it wrong. But I want to see if we can do a virtual welcome to Tony. Can we do that on three? One, two, three. Tony, we're glad that you are here. Tony, why don't you take over and lead us, brother? Well, hey, guys, good morning. Uh, like Dave said, my name is Tony, and it's good to be with you. Uh, we're not in the same space together this morning, but we're going to share some time together, and we're going to invite God's presence to come and meet us. And so as we enter a time of worship, I just want to invite you to engage in whatever way makes sense for you this morning. You might be uh, in a place where singing out loud and strong makes a ton of sense, and if so, I totally invite you to do that. But if not, I invite you to just reflect on the words that we're going to sing, maybe just to take a deep breath and invite God to meet with you, to open up to him in a fresh way today. And so we're going to do that together in a word of prayer, and then we'll sing. So if you would, wherever you are this morning, just bow your head and close your eyes. Father, we do invite you in. We invite you to come and meet with us as only you can. Oh, come, Lord. Come and meet with us. We give you this time. We give you this space. We love you, Lord. Justice roll on like a river 
that's who you are the one who takes everything 
the one who takes the moment when it seems final, the one who takes our shame and our failure, our inadequacy, our strength, every part of ourselves, Lord, and you turn it into something beautiful, something useful, something needed. And so, God, we ask that you would be that God for us today. We call on you to work in us, to transform us. We open ourselves up for that, Lord, for that transformation. We're grateful for who you are. We're grateful that you call us yours. It's good to be in your presence and to sing to you. We love you, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Tony. Thank you, team. We are just blessed by how you are leading us this morning in worship. Well, friends, again, welcome to Christ Church. My name is Aaron Foster, and I have the distinct pleasure of serving with our high school students in our Koinonia community. And I just want to say it is so good to be in worship with you today. If you are with your family right now, turn to them and say, it's good to be worshiping with you. If you are not with your family, lean into the chat community and send a chat saying, it is great to be worshiping with the church this morning. That is such an amazing truth. And I want to extend a, a special shout out to all of you who are joining us for the very first time here at Christ Church Online. So if that is you, we would love to connect with you, to get to know you. I'm encouraging you to uh, put, press the button on your screen that says new here, um, or just say in the chat, hey, I'm new here, would love to get connected, and our host teams will be happy to get to know you and start a conversation to that end. We are so glad that you made the choice to be with us this morning. Well, friends, one of the most exciting things, the highlight of my summer happened just this past week when we were able to, as a church, safely with masks and social distancing, gather together in worship outside at the parking lot at our Oak Brook campus here. If you were with us, you would probably agree with me that it was a wonderful time of worship together after so many months of being unable to do so safely. Um, so for those of you who missed it and you are, you're bummed that you couldn't be there, or if you're like me and you can't go another week without experiencing worship together, again, we are in luck. Our Worship Wednesday series is continuing once again this week and um, the subsequent weeks after that as we gather together this Wednesday at either campus in person in the parking lots at 645 on Wednesday, or if you want to stay home, you can live stream that experience on our Facebook page as well. For more information on Worship Wednesday, you can uh, follow the, the web address that you see on the screen or Send in the text update prompts to get some updates this week as, as weather changes or as any updates need to happen throughout the week. But we would just love to see you there at either campus or online on Wednesday night for our Worship Wednesday. Just an amazing, rich time of worship together as the body of Christ. Well, friends, during this season, we've actually been, while it's a difficult season, we've been encouraged by our congregation, by you, and the questions that we've heard from you all saying, how can I be serving in this season? What can I be doing to help? I see the need all around our world, and I want to be able to help and be a part of God's kingdom work and restoration in that. Well, as we know, a lot of the opportunities, the typical opportunities that we have to serve in our church buildings have kind of been put on hold for a little bit. One of our local mission partners is actually seeking more volunteers and virtual volunteers. World Relief is one of our mission partners, and they partner with local churches all around to help refugees and immigrants right here in our own communities. 
through World Relief, virtual tutors or virtual volunteers can uh, utilize their gifts remotely by being English tutors, youth tutors, uh, career mentors, or citizenship coaches. And because loneliness is one of the biggest challenges that refugees and new immigrants face, friendship partners through World Relief are needed to befriend families in the area and help them adapt to life here in America. So if God is nudging you to show the love of Christ through that way, or if you are one of the many in our congregation asking, what can I do? How can I pour out into our communities? We would love to invite you um, to visit our Serve Near page on the website to check out this opportunity with World Relief or many of the other opportunities that we have um, for us to get plugged in to serve and to offer the love of Jesus Christ. Well, as many of us know, World Relief is just one of the 80 plus mission partners that is uh, that are partners with Christ Church. And with all of those partners, your generosity, your giving is crucial in, in helping them move forward their kingdom work that they are doing here locally, but also all around the world. A portion of every single dollar given to Christ Church goes directly to those 80 plus mission partners and helps them continue to do the truly amazing work that God is doing through them. And so as we are moving to a time of giving today, we encourage you to use one of the means that you're seeing on your screen, either by clicking the Give Now button or by texting in. Um, but we would love for us as a community to give to the church with open hearts, open minds, and humility. And as we pause to offer this time, to offer God's tithes and our offerings, I encourage you to ask him how he wants you to use your time, your treasures, your gifts, just like I'm asking him to do with mine and see how he responds to you. When you're hearing from him, we ask that you would respond courageously to the words and the nudgings that he is putting on your heart. Friends, would you pray with me? God, we lift this time up to you. God, we lift ourselves up to you. We offer ourselves to you. Lord, we offer all of ourselves, our time, our talent, our treasure. God, we pray that your spirit would fill us. Lord, that we would be transformed, that we would be renewed, that these gifts, these talents, these treasures would not be ours, but they are yours and we are stewards of them. Lord, that the way that we interact with the people around us, the conversations we have, the relationships we have, that we could, that we could, adopt the same mentality and mindset that you had, Lord. That we can live into humility. That we can sacrifice for you, knowing that you are strength and that you are truth. God, we lift up today and we thank you for the amazing examples and heroes of faith that we have in our midst, in our congregation, our family members, Lord. And we pray that we can look to them as examples of your love, Lord. And that we can start to live out our lives more and more closer to the way that you would have us because of these people in our midst that are such great encouragements to us. Lord, we pray that you would be moving in this time, that our hearts would be open to your word from the letter to the Philippians today. God, we pray that you would change us, you would move us, and that you would transform us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Well, good morning, friends. My name is Tracy Bianchi, and I serve as one of the uh, preaching team members here at Christ Church. And it is my joy this morning to walk us together through the fourth installment now on our series through the book of Philippians. So would you please uh, join me in a quick word of prayer as we get started? Lord Jesus, we are grateful for this day. Our days are different, Lord, than many of us thought they might be this year, filled with some anxiety and ache, worry, perhaps anger and grief. Lord, but you are present in them. And God, you have gifted us with many things. You've gifted us with technology to be connected in this moment. You've gifted us with people who are in our lives to support us and be with us in these times. So God, as we turn our hearts and our minds toward your word this morning, we are grateful. Grateful for all that we have, even when at times things feel like a sea of loss. We are grateful for your word to us. So teach us now, Lord. Help us listen and tune our hearts to what you would have us to know. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, obviously, as we know, one of the significant challenges we face in this COVID era has been social isolation. The inability to be physically present with people, whether that's our family members, our teammates, classmates, colleagues, obviously the folks we go to church with, we cannot be physically present with at this time. This is an ache most of us have felt since this experience started. Recently, I have, however, seen the deepening of this, even memes that pop up and say, now many of us are missing people we didn't even like that much, if we're honest. We'd give anything, some of us, to even be with that annoying colleague or distracting classmate again. Social isolation continues to be a cloud that hovers over our lives and a fact once lost in the busyness of our routines now seems ever-present. We need people, and we miss them, even the annoying ones. Interestingly and timely in a way that only the Holy Spirit can orchestrate, we find ourselves today in a section of text where Paul, like us, is trying to sort out relationships and companionship from a place of isolation. Not a pandemic or a quarantine, but for Paul, his place of isolation was Roman imprisonment. And as I said, these last few weeks, we've worked our way through this letter from Paul to the church at Philippi. And Paul loves this congregation deeply. He can't be with them, but he wants to communicate with them. He has much that he wants to share with them and much that he hopes to hear about in return from them. And so he is aching for them. And over the first two chapters of this book, Paul has played out for us some marvelous theology some deep Christology, as theologians call it. In fact, last week, Pastor Pete preached on one of the most stunning celebrated texts in all of the New Testament. The first half of Philippians 2, where Paul talks about this Christological hymn, this emptying of Christ on our behalf. 
So today we take this weird, seemingly odd turn when we take a first look at it. We have experienced this rich theology together and all of a sudden we come to the section of text for today that almost seems extraneous. We're moving along with Paul and suddenly we get to what we have this morning, which is sort of a list of details about the comings and goings of a few people and someone who had become ill. Almost like you're reading a great mystery or suspense novel and all of a sudden your bookmark gets in the way and it's filled with your grocery list. It doesn't seem to make sense at first glance. So we must ask, of course, as we will, why? Did this section of text get included in this letter? What do Paul's words mean for us here? And why do they matter? So let us read together our passage for today as it comes to us from chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Timothy and Epaphroditus. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. I think, however, Paul says, it's necessary to send back Epaphroditus to you, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you. And is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me. To spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and have less anxiety. So then welcome him. In the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Think with me, if you would, for a moment about one of the most treasured, beloved people in your life could be a friend, a roommate, a spouse, a colleague you've worked alongside for years. Or perhaps your heart goes to a parent, a mother or a father or an aunt or an uncle. Or perhaps you have that connection with a child, a grown adult child, or that neighbor of yours or that guy or gal you grew up with and you knew since preschool. This person may be very present still in your life or perhaps something happened where they're not with you any longer. Maybe they've even left this world. But right now, the mention of their name turns a little smirk onto your face, brings some warmth into your heart. I mean, after all, this is perhaps the person who was with you that time you did that thing and almost got caught, or that time you forgot to turn in the paper or the project, and this person covered for you. This person can tell 
by the slightest flicker of your eyes, whether you are excited or exasperated. They are the first phone call when you have the very best or the very worst news. They're the one that knows exactly how much cream or sugar to put in your coffee. C.S. Lewis once wrote that true friendship is born that moment one person looks to another and says, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. I mean, these are the people that we're talking about today. The one who picks you up at 2 a.m. without any questions until the next day. They drive you to chemotherapy or to rehab. These are the people who pray for you. They follow up on you. They will not let that little sigh go, and they seek to understand your heart and your soul. These are the people who pray for God's angels to protect you and God's son to reveal himself to you. These are often who we call our people. Do you have this person in mind? Is it a brother, a sister, a spouse? a best friend. When life gets hard, you want this person with you, right? This is Paul and Timothy. Paul writes not one but two letters to Timothy. He starts out in this section talking about sending Timothy to the Philippians. Paul loved Timothy. They shared a deep friendship. Paul was Timothy's senior. Timothy was his mentee. But they had a deep affection and an affinity for one another that Paul likens to father and son. Paul writes two letters to him. His unyielding devotion to Timothy shows up throughout many other of Paul's letters, including obviously right here in our letter to the Philippians. Paul calls him his true son in the faith. He says, he is my son, my dear son. He consistently commends Timothy's character and wisdom and posture in the world and faith, his loyalty to others. He commends even Timothy's family members mentioning by name, which was not often done. The faith imparted to him by people like his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, Timothy is very much Paul's person. Timothy's family matters deeply to Paul. He's his go-to guy, his comfort, his companion, and his truest friend. Paul writes this letter under Roman imprisonment. Timothy is nearby. Paul, as we know, was a leader and a builder and a doer. He was aggressive. He started churches. He started conflict. He traveled hundreds of miles by foot, by land, by sea, throughout the ancient Near East. He is now under arrest in Rome. Prison is a humiliating, anxiety-producing, and terrifying ordeal. So you can imagine the great comfort it brought Paul to know that his beloved friend, Timothy, was nearby as he struggled. Now, what was prison like at Paul's time? What was Paul's ache? Why did Paul have these people with him? Why do they show up in his letter? What services and friendship and companionship were they providing for him at this time that they land in this letter in this way? At the time that Paul is imprisoned in the Roman system, prison did not equal punishment the way it does for us. You didn't do a 20-year sentence or a life sentence or two years, whatever it might be. You were in prison for one of two re reasons. You were awaiting trial or you had already been convicted and you were awaiting execution. 
And if you were in a Roman prison, the experience might range. In some places, you would be beaten and tortured, thrown into a damp cell without anything or anyone in that system to care for you. Your wounds would be festering and oozing. You might not have food. If you were a Roman citizen, you may get a little bit of food. You wouldn't have had a cloak or anything to keep you warm. You would be left for dead unless someone else were to come visit you, someone like a friend. Or perhaps you could be on house arrest. And if you were on house arrest, you would be chained to a Roman soldier, but you were free to take visitors and relax in the comfort of a home. And Paul had this whole range of experiences. And right now, he is likely on house arrest. He is waiting for trial and is hopeful, of course, that he will be released and not sentenced to his death. And so the way that you survived prison is by having a friend or a family member or a companion or a set of people who came and tended to your needs, who brought you clothing, food, who cared for you, who took the risk of being with you. The Roman system was very permeable. You could come and go. So this is the sort of experience we have with Paul right now, which is why Timothy is nearby and he's able to give Timothy this letter that he wants to send to the Philippians. And it's why we have this guy Epaphroditus that we're going to talk about in a few minutes who's with him. So Timothy is probably providing some sort of comfort like this for Paul, the comfort of presence and other essential things to keep him alive and his spirits up during this trying time. But Paul is actually preparing to send his beloved companion away because he knows the Philippians need Timothy as well. And he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you and soon that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. He cares so deeply for the Philippians that he wants to send Timothy to them. He's willing to release his comfort so that another might flourish. And then Paul goes on to say, I have no one else like him. No one who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy has proved himself, Paul says. As a father with his son, he served with me in the work of of the gospel. There's no one, Paul says, like Timothy, that is this pure and devoted in heart that I could send to you. No one whose only agenda is to serve you in the name of Jesus, to bring a gentle, non-anxious, vulnerable presence, the one God placed inside of him to you. Can you imagine running into an agenda-less person today? I mean, especially in the climate we find ourselves in. Is there anyone you've run into this week who does not have a political, social, academic, athletic, or financial agenda of some sort these days? I mean, how many of us over these past months between the racial trauma in this country to the turmoil of a pandemic have experienced a sharp pain or a significant rift in a relationship because one or both of us came to it with a perceived or an actual agenda? I mean, we know what it's like, of course, to have hidden agendas, that person who sidles up to you because you're on the board or their kid needs a spot on the team that you coach or the colleague who maybe just wanted to spend some time with you because they thought you could help them move 
up or that classmate that started texting you in friendship but really just wanted your homework. I know I've experienced that. I'm sure you have too. But particularly acute today are the relational fractures because of the agenda-laden culture we find ourselves in where some bit of news hits our media feeds and suddenly we're at war with one another online or suddenly we find ourselves gasping, I didn't know that person thought that or believed that. Click, I'm going to unfriend them, we say. I can't take any more of their posts, we might quip. I mean, I've experienced, I confess, some of this lately with my own family. I like to think I go through life without an agenda. I don't. I have political opinions. My dad has some as well, and you should see us mix it up whenever we're in conversation (laughs) with one another. And I know my dad loves me, and I love my dad deeply, but every time we interact, we show up with an agenda. So can you imagine for a moment how good it would have felt to know that coming to you from Paul was an agenda-less person whose only agenda is that of the love that Jesus has for him to share with them. A person so dedicated to the work of God that they are going to set aside their own desires and needs and seek to minister to you, to the Philippians. Paul knows this is such a rare thing. He says, I have no one like this. There is no one I could think of to send you except my sole companion friend, Timothy. He will treat you with the love and the grace and the compassion and the care. He will teach you. He will read God's words through me to you without his own agenda. He will be for you what the Spirit of God has him to be. I know no one else to send to you. This would have been a tremendous gift and a rarity then at that time in history as it is now. So Paul says, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident, he says, in the Lord that I myself might come soon, meaning I'm waiting trial. And I'm confident that God is going to get me out of this, but I'm going to keep Timothy with me just a quick minute more until I see whether I'm going to be freed or executed. Not for my own comfort, but so I know what word to send Timothy with for you. And now we have this figure who pops up who's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, Epaphroditus. And Paul says, I think it's necessary now to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, the needs we just talked about, the realities of Roman imprisonment. Now, Epaphroditus was um, sent by the Philippian church. I don't know how they came to to the decision to send him, but it must have been a daunting yet exciting one for Epaphroditus. Now, this is a lengthy journey he's going to make, so it's likely that he is young, he is fit, he is eager. He must have had some sense of himself, some um, emotional intelligence, and certainly spiritual depth to be the one who is sent. And I can imagine Epaphroditus, when they pick his name, to take care of Paul, to dash off to Rome from Philippi and be the one who represents the Philippian church to Paul. 
what joy he must have felt. They picked me. They picked me to go. Had he ever even met Paul before? Was Paul just a guy he'd heard of? I mean, Paul is famous. They love Paul. They want to send their best to Paul, and they pick Epaphroditus. And I wonder the first couple miles of the journey, how fast did he walk? I mean, was he so charged up and excited that he was out of breath and didn't even realize it? You know that feeling when you're walking and talking and suddenly you're breathless and you, you don't even know why. I mean, this is Epaphroditus. He's on mission on behalf of his church and on behalf of God. And something happens. We don't know the exact details, but Epaphroditus gets sick. So sick that he almost dies. He longs for all of you, Paul writes. And he's distressed because you've heard he was ill. Word got back to the Philippians that Epaphroditus was ill, but word did not yet get back to them on how his illness ended. So Paul says, indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me, Paul, sorrow upon sorrow. So I didn't have to sit by and watch this valiant young man and the Lord die. Therefore, Paul says, I am all the more eager to send him to you so that when you see him again, you may be glad and you may have less anxiety. So welcome home, Epaphroditus, Paul says, in the Lord with great joy. Poor Epaphroditus. And Paul, you see him emptying himself here and saying, I'm going to send him back. Now, to be sure, if he was well enough to make the trip back, he would have been well enough to stay and run errands for Paul. Paul's getting ready to send Timothy. He's sending Epaphroditus back. Who's going to care for Paul? But he knew the level of need that the Philippians had to know how Epaphroditus was doing. He probably looked in this young man's eyes and saw he needed to go home. Maybe he needed to go back home and find his mom and dad. He knew what they needed and was willing to empty himself of those desires so that others might flourish. And Paul gives him this commendation at the end. He says, welcome him with great joy. He almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. He gives this sort of endorsement at the end, perhaps because Epaphroditus could have showed up back home and the Philippians could have said, how'd you screw that up? You had one job to do, Epaphroditus. What do you mean you were sick? You look fine now. So Paul gives him some support and encouragement. So he's welcomed back home. So the relationship that struggled in that isolation from each other could be reconnected. Why is this here? Why, as we close out our time today, why did we walk through these stories? Why do we need to know who Epaphroditus was or, or that Paul was getting ready to send Timothy? And why? Why is this in our Bible? Did you know, if you think about it, that the first problem in Scripture was not sin, wasn't Adam and Eve taking the apple. That was the first sin, of course. What was the first problem? Loneliness. What does God say in Genesis 2, 18? After he creates Adam, he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. There's a problem here. So I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. I'm going to create a companion. And that word helper, azer, it's best translated warrior, protector, 
companion rescuer. I'm going to create relationship where people companion one another, where they link arms together to experience the journey of life, the arduous task of being a human being and trying to honor God with our lives. I'm going to create relationship among them. Now, as we know, the problem clearly has not been fully solved. If it was, we wouldn't twitch a little bit at the word loneliness. Most of us know what it's like to be lonely. Perhaps we've had lonely moments or lonely experience. Sadly, some of us might say we live very lonely lives. Some of the greatest pain we inflict on one another comes from a deep place of woundedness because we've been so wounded we don't know what to do except wound others and the divisions among us increase. So it's no wonder today that we lash out at each other the way we do because we carry these wounds that we've never been able to fully heal and we want to protect ourselves and we don't know how to be in deep relationship and we're isolated from one another now. And we can take from Paul this lesson on how to heal those lonely wounds. What does Paul do? He honors the relationships he has. He commends Paul. He commends Timothy and Epaphroditus. He says out loud what is good and noble and true about them. And then he relinquishes them for the good of others and sends them off for what he knows will be the best for them. It is what Jesus does for us, it is what the emptying of God that we studied just last week is about. And here Paul empties himself of his own, his own comforts so that they might be given for the sake of others. Jesus, if you, if you remember, you want to look this up in John 15, at the end of his life, Jesus has an opportunity to call his people who he's gathered for a meal, his buddies, they're hanging out, the disciples. He could have called them students, my protégés, my mentees, citizens. He could have said anything. Do you know what Jesus calls them at the end of his life? His friends. He says, you're my friends if you do my will. And he says, I do not call you servants. I call you friends. And then he says, greater love has no one than this, that one lays down one's life for one's friends, that we empty ourselves for the sake of others. We have a picture of what that looks like here in the book of Philippians. It's why Paul talks about these guys it's why we read this and study this and why we need to spend some time this week now figuring out what does this look like in my world. Maybe ask yourself this week, who can I honor? Who can I speak beautiful truth about like Paul does for Timothy and Epaphroditus? And what about me can I let go of so that another who is struggling might flourish? What comforts am I holding that might be released for the flourishing of another person? Paul certainly didn't want to send Timothy away. He probably didn't want to send Epaphroditus away either. But he knew they needed to go and the Philippian church needed them. He was willing to be uncomfortable and vulnerable and alone in a Roman prison so that someone else could flourish. We're talking about that level of sacrifice 
What agenda do you need to set aside? What conversation do you need to have? What act of grace, mercy, forgiveness, engagement, listening to you need to engage in, you and I together, so that we can be that sort of person for another? And let us not forget in closing that when we do that, if we feel a twinge of loneliness ourselves, or if we find ourselves saying, I don't even have anybody to send, I am so very alone, that the God of the universe calls us friends. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And while we may feel alone in the sending or alone as we're waiting to receive, we are never truly alone. That God is with us and is holding us in these times of tumult just like God has held his people for centuries. And as we send and as we wait, we have the presence of God with us, which is what Paul himself knew as well. I'm good. I have the Lord with me. Take these people. Take my comforts. I have my Lord. May we find ourselves this week standing in that same tradition and holding firm to the reality of God's presence in our lives so that we might send off goodness to others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of these stories, these people in your word who seek to do your will. May we be found faithful to the task of sending, of receiving, of doing that which helps this broken, dilapidated world around us flourish. Now, this week, Lord, and forevermore. Amen. You're worthy of every song we could ever sing. You're worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes. breath we could ever breathe we live for you 
into this week, know that you are not alone. And that like Paul, we stand in the beautiful tradition of our Lord, who would send and receive his people. So I send you out now with this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. 
May the Lord lift the light of his countenance towards you and grant you his peace, now in this moment and forevermore. <laughs>